The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hi, Jason. Hi, Joni. Here we are again. It's another week. It is. It's another week. Did you want to tell anything about that story you were just saying? Do you have any insight as to, you were talking about a young man who... Yeah, I was talking about a person that I used to work with that I got some news today that unfortunately he's reverted back to drugs. And um, the unfortunate thing is that there's no treatment modality that works for 100% of the people that it helps. Unfortunately, there's no, there's no drug addiction treatment that's 100% effective for everybody. Right. Now, all the time. All the time. Now, obviously, there's some that are better than others, like Narconon. Just give them a plug there. Um, but Narconon does have a really great success rate comparatively to, like, quote-unquote, traditional 12-step psychiatric-based treatment. And so... It's still, it's still, you know, awful when someone that you know and that you worked with is now back on drugs because, you know, I worked with this guy for a year mm-hmm. um, and then I think it was about eight or nine months ago, someone had some suspicions about it. I caught, you know, a report here and there that, oh, so-and-so might be using again and I actually called him mm-hmm. and now in retrospect, I realized he lied to me <laughs> the whole phone conversation that we had. He said, no, everything's fine. Everything's this, everything's that. And so the other, my other friend who, who I worked with just called me today and gave me some sad news that, yes, in fact, he is back on drugs. He's trying to get back into detox. He's taking Suboxone for the time being. But it's like he went like really far down as, as far as his relapse goes. I was telling you before, sometimes people relapse. Um, it's a quick slip. They catch themselves. They go right back to treatment. They sort out whatever didn't get handled and then they just kind of go about their way and everything's fine. Other people kind of pull the scaffolding down on top of their head, so to speak, and like ruin everything. And that's what this guy did. Wow. I mean, he's at the point where he's stealing his, uh, his father's cancer medication. Wow. Um, his father's terminally ill. So, so he's stealing he's, the painkillers. He's stealing the painkillers. And, uh, apparently he looks terrible and it's just like, He's lost job after job after job, and it's really sad because it's it's someone I knew personally. It's someone I worked with, and the only way I knew this guy was as someone who was sober. Right. I've never known him, you know, from his past. I never was exposed to him being on drugs. Right. I've only known him sober, and so now to think about that he's back in that, my heart kind of goes out to him. Yeah. One, he's lucky he survived. He's lucky he's not dead. That's the first thing. The second thing, it's like, that's an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And now he's got to basically figure his whole life out again. He's got to figure out how to, like, get back on track. From what I heard, his parents are really kind of done. His insurance is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't have financial support to go back to treatment. And so he may be relegated to, like, figuring it out on his own, which that's what happens after a while. You can only burn certain like your family so many times before they kind of like wipe their hands clean of you and say, look, I'm done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even though we were talking last week about, you know, enabling versus helping, you can't help somebody that does not want to be helped. And and when you consistently offer help to someone who won't take it, there's nothing else you can do. Right. And it sounds like he's burned a lot of those bridges. Well, you do burn a lot of bridges, but at the same time, if a person doesn't have a, a need for change in their life, mm-hmm. they're not going to get clean. Right. You know, a person, even if you do an intervention on a person that like might not be willing to go to treatment, like, you know, at the first drop of a hat, they still 
once they get there, will end up at a point where they have a need for a change, where they realize, hey, my life is really bad. <laughs> Things are not going the way I want it. And so I do have a need to figure this stuff out so I can change all that and have a better existence. But there's some people out there that don't experience that. They don't right. experience that need for change. So there's really like not much you can do for that person. So, Interesting. Which, you know, I think it all comes back to, you know, what's the first way to curb the drug problem is through education. Now, education needs to start early in life. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And an education needs to start in the home. You right. know, like kids who unfortunately are raised by parents who are addicted to alcohol or drugs. I mean, they're, they've, they're already at a disadvantage because right. it, I think it does need to start in the home. I really do. Well, you, people... My parents never really talked to me about drugs. I'm not saying that's the reason I turned into a drug addict. No, I know. But when I was growing up, I had my mom's stepbrother, not blood related. My mom's stepbrother was a drug addict. Mm -hmm. You know, it was always like, you know, don't do what Uncle Steven does. Right. You know, don't do, don't do what he does. You know, drugs have ruined his life. But there was never any kind of like education here's why you here's, don't do like, drugs here's what's wrong with them here's what they do to the body here's what they are here's what they are here's exactly what, here's what they do to the body here's the different ways they can be given to you and what you should do to handle it when i was growing up we had the dare program mm -hmm. do you remember dare mm -hmm. yeah drug abuse resistance education i didn't know what it stood for but i remember the program it, it it almost glorified drug use it was like here's a drug and these are like the fun things they'll do to you it was like Really? Our, we would, they would sit us in gin. They wouldn't say it like that. Right. But they would basically, when they would tell you what the drugs would do to you, they didn't sound negative in our heads as six, you know, sixth graders. I remember being in the gymnasium in sixth grade and everyone's like, okay, we're going to go to the dare, the dare presentation in the auditorium. And um, they sat us down and it was a police off. It was like one or two police officers from the, from the town we lived in uh, that gave the presentation and there was at one point, me and my friends were kind of looking at each other like, dude, drugs sound great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. That's the cognition yeah. I had from, yeah. we had. It wasn't yeah. even me. It wasn't like I was the one that was completely messed up. No, I, I up. get we, it. We get collectively it. were like, LSD sounds fantastic. Ecstasy, amazing. And cocaine, hey, I mean, yeah. maybe. And then I remember... We saw the dare officer. Was dare is also like anti tobacco? Okay, really? I think they're. I think they're. Anti, I think so. I'm, I. I don't know why I remember this, but when the presentation was over and everyone's like going back to class, me and a couple of my buddies like snuck outside. We watched the dare officers all light a cigarette and walk away from the presentation. We thought that was really, really bizarre. Um, wow. But that type of education, it didn't work for for me. It didn't work for any of my friends. You know. A lot of people started smoking pot the next year right? in seventh grade. And so I can't say that the D.A.R.E. program was especially effective, but there's ways to talk to kids about drugs and make it real to them. Mm -hmm. Because when parent, a lot of times parents don't have that, conf that ability to confront it because right. they don't know how to talk about it. They right. don't know the best way to bring it up, the best way to discuss it or anything. And I always tell people, any conversation about not using drugs and what drugs are and all that is better than no conversation exactly it doesn't matter if it's a if you don't even know what you're doing and it doesn't matter if the parents you know did drugs earlier in life themselves they can still teach their kids 
Like, what's going on these days? You know, you know I, th- I was thinking. Of, I was thinking about what were the conversations I had with my boys when they were growing up, and I don't remember exactly, but I know that I I was pretty. Uh, not cold turkey, but I was pretty hard when I would talk about drugs. Like I, I basically told them the truth of what I knew about drugs. And I remember when this is, I just remember when Kurt Cobain died of an overdose and there was, there was a lot of interest there with my boys at the time because they were just starting to listen to rock music and, you know, listen to the type of music that he did. And we had a lot of discussions about that and what were drugs and, you know, what's wrong with them and why you wouldn't do them, you know, and I think, I just think so often parents think, oh, that'll never happen to my child. And and you're dreaming if you think that, because I mean, case in point, Derek on a Boy Scout trip. I right. mean, I would never have thought anything about sending my boys on a Boy Scout trip. And, and there was, you know, there was an older scout that introduced him to marijuana. And I think, I just, the thing I tell parents a lot of times with teenagers is I never assumed that they just would get, make the right decisions by osmosis. I never, ever assumed that. And my boys went to private school until my older son was 15. And then he really wanted to go to a public high school. So he did. He went to a public high school, which will, will remain nameless. But he told us, you know, a few months into it, that they were selling marijuana in the in the bathroom. We went to the principal and we said, "Can't you do something about this?" And it was like, "Oh, this other violation of privacy." It was it was complete and utter horsepucky. But what I did on a regular basis is I I just never let up. I never assumed that he would make the right choices. And I and I think that that's a good point. You cannot assume it if you haven't taught them that. Where are they going to get it from? You know, even if you're a very religious person, typically a minister in a church does not say don't do drugs. He's reading from the Bible and he's quoting the Bible and he's giving lots of, you know, lessons that are valuable. But if you don't, if you don't specifically explain to your kids, I think, why not do drugs? What is a drug? How does it affect you? And why you're, you're not going to, why you shouldn't do it. I just, you can't. I don't know. I think some parents just assume that their kids are just going to get it out of the atmosphere or something. And I never did. I never, I was absolutely ruthless, ruthless. And even though when I was in high school, I was drinking, it's illegal. And and that's what we would say. You know, you can't do it. It's illegal. And, and my husband and I would have this conversation back and forth, like, how can we enforce this? Because, you know, it wasn't enforced on us. But also the consequences of drinking and driving now are way worse than when I was in high school. They just are, you know? Oh, yeah. And I I just, I was ruthless. I never just assumed that because they were my kids and because we were ethical and we have an ethical, you know, house and I maybe have a glass of wine twice a month, that I just never assumed that they knew better. And I think that a lot of times parents do, they can't, like you say, they can't confront getting into that subject, but it's a subject you have to get into because I don't care who you are, your kids are exposed to it. I think that's a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. You can't assume that your kids are going to make the right choices if they're not taught how to, and they can't compare apples to apples Mm -hmm. or apples to oranges. You know, 
basically it's like if if a kid doesn't know what a drug is if a kid doesn't know the consequences of taking drugs they're never taught that how are they going to make the appropriate decision to not do drugs that's right and i thought that was a really great point i was actually i was like i was sitting here while you were talking and i was thinking that's a perfect way to put it because some families will call narconon and they are just in shock I can't believe my A-plus student is now failing because he's on heroin. And it's like... Did you ever educate him on heroin and what heroin does to the body and what heroin is going to do to his goals and, and future prospects in life? Here's, here's an interesting point, though. So let's say you have a 15, your kid's 15. Mm-hmm. What is going to ever come to mind... That you think to yourself, you know what? I should let him know what heroin is so he doesn't do it when he's older. It doesn't occur to people mm. that their kid is going to grow up and become a drug addict. Right. And then once that's happened, obviously, you, I mean, you can't go back in time and, and, and educate you them. Can't close the barn door. And this is where families start to blame wrong. themselves. Yeah. yeah. And so there has to be a way that every family talks to their kids as a prophylactic measure so they know what they're getting into if they do decide to pick up drugs. Now, here's an interesting... I like that word prophylactic. Does that mean we can't say this is a clean podcast? I'm just kidding. I wonder if they're going to give us like a, a parental advisor explicit <laughs> content. No, I think it's okay. But that was good. I like that word. It's a good Go use of the word prophylactic. Yes, it was. It's a protective measure. Exactly. It's um, You can't make a, an educated decision without knowing both sides of mm-hmm. something, right? And mm-hmm. so you want your children... I'd want my children, hypotheticals, I don't have any, but my hypothetical children, I'd like them to make an educated decision on if they should use drugs or not. But, you know, when I was growing up, it was always like, you know, beware those guys that stand on the corners or try to like sneak you drugs and all that stuff. Here's where we're at today. Beware of the doctor who gave you the painkiller prescription. Right. Sorry. And when I was growing up, all the doctor wanted to do was chase me around the room and try to give me a shot. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if I've brought this up, but OxyContin, I think in 2015, was approved for pediatric use. Uh, for everyone who, <laughs> who's listening, Joni just froze and star- stared at me. Um, that's insane. They, um, they've approved the use of OxyContin for, for, for children, little babies. Um, I would think it would kill babies, no? Not in small and tiny dose. I'm sure there's like a pediatric dose of it that won't kill the kid. But... Here's where but let's at. get them addicted while they're little. Doctors, drugs are coming from different sources now than they used to. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, you can educate your kids on, you know, don't do coke, don't drink, don't smoke pot. But you Don't I mean, buy heroin from the guy down on the street. Don't buy her- right. But are you going to educate your kid on, like, don't take the medicine the doctor's giving you? Yeah. By the way, when you get your tooth out and that pain pill, pain pill he gives you, be very, very careful because you can become addicted to that. Right. So education now has to kind of grow and evolve as the scene with drugs is evolving. Right. Because now you've got drugs that are given to you by a family doctor. You've got dr- you've got psychiatric drugs that are also given to you by a family doctor. Mm-hmm. So now we're at a point where you don't have to go to a psychiatrist to get psychiatric medication that any MD, any physician technically can prescribe them. Mm-hmm. There's no special licenses or DEA numbers that you have to have to prescribe psych drugs. Right. Um, so there's that. And school nurses can, I think. School nurses cannot, a nurse can't prescribe, but they can okay. write a recommendation mm. to a doctor. And that's how I got on psych drugs. Okay. The schools urged my family 
to take me to a psych and blah, 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 blah. Um, but it ended up being my family doctor that stuck me on Ritalin the very first time. Either way. Um, and then you've also got drugs that are easily ordered on the internet. Okay, that's just scary. Right. So we're in a world of synthetics mm. right now. Mm. You've got spice, you've got bath salts, you've got a whole laundry list of what they call, they call them research chemicals, that they all have different effects on the human body. And they're made in China, and you can go online and order them. So, you know, now you've got to educate your kids on, don't go online and order drugs that are chemicals that you don't know what they are just because your friends tell you, they're fun stuff and that you should probably try it. So families really have to work pretty hard um, on the education field or in the education arena for keeping their kids off drugs. So to kind of backtrack, it's very important that everyone out there has an understanding of what a drug is. All right. We talk about drugs a lot, right? Yes. Every, well, yeah. every, every week we talk about drugs. Yes. Maybe we should define it for our listeners, what a drug is. Well, I don't think we've done this. I possibly, I think, You've, did, you've did hinted we, at it, but, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about how, how we would – drugs are basically a poison. Right. And in a small amount, they can act as a stimulant. Mm-hmm. Correct me when I'm wrong. In a larger amount, they can act as a suppressant, a downer, depre- a depressant. A depressant. Yeah. And it, with too much, they will kill you. Right. Because they're a poison, and they're bypassing some function in the body. Right. Drugs are essentially poisons. Right. Right. And like you said, a little bit acts as a stimulant. A little more will act as a depressant and make you sleepy, possibly. And too much will kill you. Now, I can attest to this. Now, people, when I've defined drugs for people, they're like, well, if I do a ton of cocaine, I'm not going to feel sleepy. It's like, no, actually, you will. As a cocaine addict, when I would do too much cocaine... I'd want to. I felt like I'd want to like, kind of lay down and go to sleep, and not mm-hmm. the energized effect that you get with a little bit of it. And yeah, too much will kill you. And then that definition is true for every drug. Mm-hmm. They are essentially poisons. Your body, alcohol, aspirin, Tylenol, any of it, it it will work the same way. You right. can you can kill yourself by taking too much aspirin. You'll bleed to death. Yeah, internally. Yeah. So people have to realize that. The reason drugs have the effect on the body that they do is because they're poisons. Right. Your body is not meant to ingest them. Your body is not meant to metabolize them. And your body doesn't really know too much about what to do with them other than to like let a bunch of them pass through and out the body through the urine, the bowels, and store the rest in the fat tissue so it doesn't harm the rest of the body. Right. That's that's also a prophylactic measure of the human body is to put a lot of the metabolites in the fat tissue so it can't harm everything else. Exactly. Um, And so I don't think kids have that workable definition of what a drug is. Mm -hmm. And it makes it very simple. It makes it very basic, you know, to understand. And I think it's the most workable definition of what a drug is that I have personally ever heard. I think you're right. You know, my definition to go with that my definition of addiction is consistently and constantly and compulsively engaging in certain behaviors despite adverse consequences i think that covers everything because it also covers all kinds of addictions just besides alcohol and drugs i mean right yeah so an addiction sets in when a person can't stop doing what they're doing despite all the consequences they're given like when I would do cocaine, I got tons of consequences, but I still didn't stop mm-hmm. because the behavior was so compulsive at that point that it didn't matter what consequences came my way. 
I would keep using because the compulsion to do so was stronger than the negative um, effects I was getting from the consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of uh, drug education has to be, one, defining what a drug is. Two, knowing what addiction is. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. And three, what to do if you find yourself addicted. Because I think a lot of kids, what happens is, and this is just my opinion, is that they try drugs... They like they find one they really like, they get hooked, and then they don't know what to do. Because you've got the shame and the guilt and the remorse and all those uh, emotions that come up about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Then there's the feeling of like, I can't tell anyone about this. I'll just figure it out on my own. And then that doesn't work. Things go too far. And then that's when families call me and say, hey, my A student is now a, a heroin addict. Because if you don't open the conversation up early your kid is more than likely not going to feel comfortable talking to you about it if it happens right that's right because i mean i wish in retrospect that i had told my parents hey i think i'm becoming addicted to cocaine before i went through a whole laundry list of bad things (laughs) there was a point in time where they said to me jason is anything going on? And that was my opportunity. I could have said, yes, yes, something's absolutely happening. But I was feel, I was too filled with regret, shame, all those things that came along with the fact that I had been lying about something for a really long time and withholding it from them. I couldn't deal with that. So I couldn't let myself be wrong mm-hmm. and saying, yes, I have a problem. And so I kept hiding it. And so part of the educating your kids on drugs is also opening the door to like really open communication about what if the event pops up that your kid does use drugs Mm -hmm. yet they have to be able to feel comfortable with you to talk to you about it and hopefully that can like i said nip it in the bud before it goes too far right do 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 kids ever call you or do young people ever call you and say, I think I'm addicted, but I can't tell my parents? Does that ever happen? Yeah. See, that's something that I thought I was just thinking of right now. Um, I'm going to put in a plug for the phone number because I'm thinking, I don't know how many addicts listen to this podcast or if we appeal more to the friends and family of addicts, but I'm going to give this phone number out because if you are an addict and you can't confront talking to your parents for whatever reason, then you can call this number. It's 877-339-3324. And because also it's important that they know that all, all calls are completely confidential. Good. So there your call is going to be completely confidential. But if you know that your dad is going to hit the ceiling, if you try and ask for help, you need to call that number. Because at the other end of the line will be someone who's willing to talk to you and understands what you're going through. Now, there have been times where I've gotten a call and it's an addict and they tell me what's going on. And then I say, so what does your family think about what's happening? Oh, they don't know. Right. Well, oh, okay. Should, do, do you think we, you should talk to them about that? I can't. I, I, my dad, like my dad, will hit the ceiling. My right. mom will have a heart attack. My grandma will turn in her grave. I can't tell them about this. And so what ends up happening is that, and this is, this is a hard situation, is that you get the addict to get the parents on the phone. Right. So I set up a time with the addict where their parents are home, and then they all get on the phone, and I have 
the addict break the news to the family. And now I have a whole family, family counseling session going on yep. because I have to deal with the parents' reaction to it, um, how the kid's going to react to the parents' reaction, smooth everything out. And luckily I'm there to offer a solution to what to the problem they just found out about. Right. Um, and that's always a hard conversation because no two parents really react the same way to right. their kid divulging the fact that, hey – I'm a I've drug been, addict. I'm a drug addict. Yeah. You know, there's been some times where um, I had a mother, I had, a, I had an addict do this and the mother started crying mm-hmm. and said, finally, you're admitting what well, we already knew what was going on. Because that's a good point. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're an addict and you think your family doesn't know and you're still living at home, I'm going to just about bet you $100 that they do know. Yeah. And if you finally admit it to them, they're going to be... So happy that they know and that you've admitted that you have a problem. But if you can't, call that number. Yeah, and that's a really we'll hard... talk you through it. Yeah, it's a really hard thing. Yep. Because a lot of times parents have every instinct that something is going on, but they can't prove it. So what I always tell... This brings me another to another topic is that parents will call me and say, Hey, I think my kid's on drugs. Right. How do I prove it? And I have one answer, and I really, really hope this helps someone listening to this. Ask them? No. No, what? Drug test them. Oh, okay. okay. Drug testing is a very easy thing to do. Okay. Now- How would I do that if I wanted to drug test my kids? How would I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Do I go like online and Google drug test? Not even. Okay, tell me. So, a drug test can be bought at any pharmacy. Okay. CVS, Walmart, Walgreens. Um, you can order, they usually have dip types of tests that are called dipsticks. That means someone provides a urine sample and you dip the drug test into the urine sample and it sucks it up. It almost reads like a pregnancy test. Right. Um, now you can buy, uh, kits for specific drugs only, but what I always recommend families do is buy a test that's called a five panel test five panel test because so, what is that test for like the five five, five main drugs of abuse okay now if anyone ever wants to get a 12 panel test that tests for everything from methadone to suboxone to whatever they can always call narcan on suncoast and order okay a drug test kit from us now for those of that are listening we sell drug testing kits for 12 dollars. okay wow um, yeah, that's really, 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 that's <laughs> yeah. really cheap. Yeah. If you go to Walgreens or Walmart, or the pharmacy, you're going to spend about thirty-five to forty dollars on a kit. Okay. Now, I always tell parents if you are suspecting that your kid is using drug, test them because you will be able to tell by their reaction to your request what's going on. Because if they say no, I'm not going to give you your sample. That's ridiculous. Why on earth would I do that? You can probably pretty much guess, bet. That they're on drugs. That they're on drugs. Because otherwise they would give you the urine and say, sure, go ahead. You're out of your mind. But go Pe- ahead and People do that don't use drugs, if they are um, confronted with a drug test, they say, okay. Great. Here's my pee-pee. Yeah, here. Yeah. Here you go. Enjoy. Yeah. An addict, if they have something to hide, will not take a drug test. Or they will do a whole range of shady things, which are going to the bathroom, fill the cup with urine, I mean with uh, toilet water, or do different things to mess with the tests. And so I always tell parents, you need to go into the bathroom with them. And watch them fill the cup. And watch them fill the cup. Now, a drug test is very easy to read. So let's say on the five-panel test, it looks like a, a rectangle like this, mm-hmm. a rectangle with uh, little sticks coming out the bottom, which are what suck up the urine and test it. Right. Um, 
And basically there's two lines that can possibly show up on a drug test because basically you have the test, you dip into the urine and in the middle of the rectangle are the testing windows right? where the urine passes through and either one line or two lines will pop up Mm -hmm. under each panel. Okay. Now two lines under a panel is a negative result. So if you get two lines, that means the person's negative for drugs. But if you get one line and it's a positive result, that means that they are using drugs. Okay. And so I always tell families, you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely need to drug test your child or your wife or your husband or whomever you're suspecting of using drugs. And usually by their reaction, you know, you know, now there's a few times where the addict will say, oh, it's been a couple of days since I used, oh, I'll pass this test. No problem. Right. That's why I hat people and teach people how to read the test. Um, in case the addict thinks they're they're going to get off scot-free and get away with murder. Right. Because it's been two or three days, and that should have cleared my system. I drank a ton of water. And uh, then they'll know how to read it. And so drug testing is really, really important. If you ever suspect someone of using drug test them. Interesting. And it's a really easy thing. And a lot of people don't realize how easy it is to drug test these days. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point, I think, for parents. Right. So I always tell parents... In the arena of education, there's also prevention. Mm-hmm. So there's education, then there's prevention. Mm-hmm. So prevention would be drug testing your kids if you ever suspect that something's going on. Right. I, you know, I wish that every family would give their kids in high school <laughs> random drug screens. There are some families that do, but that's part of the prevention side is, okay, so you educate your kid on what a drug is, where they come from, how they harm the body, how are the different ways that drugs can come into your life, and what the most constructive ways are to deal with it. Right. And then opening open and honest you know, communication lines between yep. the parents and their child so that they can communicate if anything's happening. And then the prevention side is you should drug test your kids. Yep. I think parents of high school kids, especially these days, should drug test your kids. I think that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. You know, because otherwise you don't know. You know, I, and I think colleges and universities should. I think you're right. You know, inter- back to education. We were talking about education. You know, one of the programs that I know you're aware of, and I'm aware of, because I've watched all, I've watched all of their DVDs, is the Truth About Drugs program, right. and. So they've got some uh, public service announcements that are dramatized, and then sure. some are like, you know, where they're actually talking to addicts, and the addicts are really telling their story. But one of the dramatizations, which I think is important for kids and for parents, is, you know, they say one one hit can't kill you. Right. Or one hit won't hurt. And then, of course, they show a little boy who gets one hit of something, and I he actually dies. I just saw that one. I, that is really, really hard to watch. It is. You know, but more and more now, we've got some of these drugs. Like, what's this drug that they're calling the gray death? Okay, so... That will kill you now, one time. Yes? Here's here's something that's interesting. I would never, ever, 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 ever do a drug called gray death. I, uh, ever. I never. I just never would. I would never, I would never do that, ever. Um, now, what gray death is, is a new drug that's been developed that looks like a chunk of concrete... And um, it's a mix of elephant tranquilizers called oh. carfentanil, which is, which is an analog of fentanyl. Um, okay. It's called carfentanil. It is literally an elephant tranquilizer. Um, it has uh, fentanyl in it with carfentanil and heroin. Wow. That will kill you. I mean, there's no surviving that. That will kill you. So I, 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 <laughs> why would anybody take it? How does it get like... How does it like? I'm this is a horrible. This is, word. Uh, How is it marketed? This like, is an interesting thing when it comes to heroin addicts. 
So, the worst thing that a heroin addict runs into on a daily basis is not the lying, cheating, stealing, and manipulating everyone around them. It's not having the heroin. It's not having heroin because what happens when you don't have heroin when you're addicted? You go into withdrawal, and it's really nasty. Big time. So you want the strongest imaginable heroin. So there's... there's And that's how that's being marketed, if you will, that it's the strongest heroin you can get, this gray death? Pretty much. Basically, there's there's a phenomenon that happens with heroin addicts is that a bunch of people hear about... Um, they, they call it a dope trap. Is the trap is the spot is a slang term for the spot where you buy your drugs. Okay, usually on the streets. Um, people will hear of a quote unquote trap that has had a bunch of overdoses attributed to the heroin bought there, and then all the addicts want to go there and get that heroin that killed all those people because that's that's the that's the strong stuff. That's the good stuff that I'll get my more bang for my buck, if you will, and will stave off the withdrawals longer. And so. When something called gray death comes around and um, people like you and me are like, why on earth would anyone try this? The scariest thing to a heroin addict isn't death or anything like that. It's withdrawal. Right. They cannot, cannot, cannot deal with withdrawal. And they're not really afraid of dying, are they? Not at all. Not really. And we get to a point where it's like, it's literally a viable exit route. Wow. Because your life is so bad. You, You People have get, people out there are robbed, raped, beaten. You know, terrible things happen to them. Death is definitely not the scariest thing for them to confront. They Case in point, the, Derek. The I wi- mean, right? Yeah. It's the withdrawals. Wow. It's the withdrawals. And so, gray death to you and me is something like, there's, that's like stupid. Why would anyone try that? I get it. Heroin addicts want that. I get it. They want the strongest thing imaginable. I get that. Because it's, and that brings, you know, us to a new realm is that synthetic drugs and new creations are happening every month. Yep. Because, I mean, it was last summer that the uh, car fentanyl, the elephant tranquilizers came out. It was a few months, it was like a few months ago that the uh, fake Xanax was hitting Florida here um, and killing people. The dealers were taking fentanyl and pressing their own pills to look like Xanax. (laughs) But it wasn't Xanax, it was fentanyl. And what Um, is fentanyl? Fentanyl is a synthetic opiate. Oh, okay. It's a really strong painkiller. I got it. Um, usually, the the only indications for fentanyl are like surgical. Right. You get it from surgery or like right when you get out of surgery or as part of like general anesthesia. Um, some people have really chronic painful conditions mm-hmm. that will get a fentanyl patch. Um, but that's about it. And it's usually for like really terminally ill people. Right. Um, and they're mixing that with heroin, other things. So you're getting so when you have fentanyl mixed heroin, you're getting heroin, which is also really strong, mixed with fentanyl that's also strong. So the instances of overdose happen more frequently. Right. So you had those um, those fake pills filled with fentanyl, and now we have gray death. Right. Which is like a whole other thing. So we're constantly having new drugs created. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely wiping people off the map. Right. And. Um, it scares me for like what's the next month or two going to bring? What's the, like the next new drug? Right now we have so many synthetic drugs out there. Like I was saying earlier in this episode, they're easily ordered online from China, these right. research chemicals. And the sick part is you can't drug test for them. That, yeah. That's the part that's scary to me. You can't drug test for synthetic drugs. Um, <laughs> because a lot of them, they don't even know what they are. Yep. They don't know what metabolite if, the body gives off. And like, if you don't know what it is, you can't test for it because you right. can't tell whether it's there. What did that um, that 
recent guy, Rockstar. Oh, Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. What did what was he taken? Uh, uh, I think it was Ativan. Okay. Which is a benzodiazepine, which is uh, a tranquilizer, like Xanax. Oh, because you were doing it to like calm down, not yeah, so much for, for pain. Yeah, for anxiety. Okay. And one of the side effects, some of the side effects of Ativan are like depression, suicidal suicidal tendencies, yeah. and stuff like that. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, there's another famous rocker that's dead from uh-huh. uh, from drugs, yep. essentially. Before him, it was Prince. Yep. I loved Prince. Mm. I was like, really sad when Prince died because the public was never aware that he had a substance abuse problem. Right. But all Prince's employees and publicists and all that knew right. that he had a drug problem. Apparently, he had actually overdosed on an airplane, I think it was a few weeks or a few months before he died. Um, they had to make an emergency landing and get him into a hospital. Wow. Um, and what sucks is that they didn't put him in rehab. Yeah. Well, Heath Ledger. Is another example. Yeah. You know, great actor. Really great actor. I feel like most celebrities die from drugs. Yeah. Now it's like starting to like... I think it used to be plane plane crashes, and now I think it is drugs a lot of the time. I think you're right. Hey, I got a question for you, because you were telling me, and on the good side, okay, people are coming to Narconon, which is the whole reason we're doing this podcast. On the bad side, it means there are more and more addicts, but you said that you're a capacity at Narconon Suncoast right now. Which is a double-edged sword. Right. But of those people who are coming in, what are you finding is the drug of choice, typically? Heroin. Heroin. Okay. Opiates, in general. So... So opiates, typically, the, the painkillers that you get in the hospital, they will ultimately lead to heroin when you can't get them anymore or when you want a, a something stronger. Well, what usually happens is that if a person goes into a hospital, has the surgery, mm-hmm. they're going to give you drugs for a couple of days and then you're done. Right. Um, some other people are going to uh, have like sports injuries, go to the doctor, and they might put you on Vicodin or something for a month. Right. Um. It all depends on a person's reaction to the drug, whether they're going to become addicted to it. Like I said, like when I did cocaine, I had an immediate realization like, oh, this is going to be a problem because this feels way too good and this is handling something for me. Right. Some people will go in to have surgery um, and take the painkillers for a couple of days and have that realization. Mm-hmm. Or the person that has a – is like a high school football player goes and has an injury, breaks his leg, goes to the doctor and they put him on Vicodin for a month, might have that realization – um, and then what's going to happen is that they're going to hit the streets not looking for heroin. They're going to hit the streets looking for pills. Right. Because they're like, heroin has a certain stigma to it. Yeah. It's like. You do heroin, I, you're I, a drug you addict. You do heroin, you're like a mm-hmm. garbage person. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just I just take my Oxycontin. Right. Um, and some people have that kind of holier than thou thing. Because realistically, there is no difference between doing pills and doing heroin. It's pretty much the same thing. Exactly. Uh, the route of administration might be a little bit different. But. Nevertheless, you're doing the same drug. So it's like anyone out there that's doing Oxycontin and thinking like you're not doing heroin, you're doing legal her- – like you're doing legal heroin that's been prescribed by a doctor. Right. Um, and you are doing the exact same thing to your body that will happen when you shoot up heroin. Right. And so because heroin has a certain stigma, these people that get hooked on their pain pills are going to hit the streets looking for pills. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to get Vicodin. Say they got prescribed Vicodin. Vicodin feels really good. Let me go see who has Vicodin out there that I can buy some. Right. So they go looking for Vicodin, and they might find some for a little while. Um, probably, I think it's 10, 10 milligram Vicodin pills go for about 7 to $10 a pill. Wow. 
How long does a pill last? Well, depends how, <laughs> how big your tolerance is. Okay. Um, and so basically what happens is as the longer you take opiates, the less the, they the work, the tolerance. more you have to take. Yeah. yeah you're going to yeah. constantly need yeah. more and more and more as you're going to get used to the dose you were taking. You're going to mm-hmm. build a tolerance. You're going to need more. So people get to a point where they have to take 20 in one swallow to get the buzz they're looking for. So the dealer is now like, hey, you should try like a, a 30 milligram Percocet. Oh, what's a 30 milligram Percocet? Um, on the streets, they're called blues. Okay. Quote, unquote. That's their slang name that most people know them by. Um, and so they're like, wow, that's amazing. That's a one pill. And that's way stronger. How much is that pill? That's $30 for one pill. Okay. Same thing happens. Their tolerance builds. And eventually, they have to take six pills a day at $30 a whack. And that's 180 bucks. Wow. Just, just. To not be sick right that day and that's where the progression of heroin yeah starts to come in because someone's like hey these pills are pretty expensive heroin is stronger and it's cheaper really heroin's so, cheaper yeah wow Ex- exceptionally cheaper you can buy a ten dollar bag of heroin that'll you know last you for a couple hours okay um, depending on your tolerance. Again, right. depending on your tolerance. So right. heroin is cheaper, it's stronger, and so that's how people end up on heroin is that the pills become completely cost prohibitive to, to stay on them. And plus they need so much of it that the amount that they're spending, they could put that amount of money into heroin and have heroin for days. Wow. And so that's where the progression of heroin comes in. So so that's what you're seeing. My question was, yeah. you know, what was the drug of choice for the people that are it's coming heroin. in now? It's and, heroin. And did, could you... Maybe you don't know this. Would you say that most of them started on opioids? That's how they got started? Every one of them. There's not one. If you if you have no tolerance to opiates and you go right to heroin, it'll kill you. Okay. I mean, it's plain and simple. You can't go from like, lottie dottie, A plus student, don't do drugs. I'm a sniff a line of heroin. That will probably kill you. Right. So that So they're all starting with opiates and then graduating from there to heroin. Interesting. Yeah. You have to start some, you have to start there. Um, and a lot of times, like I said before, it's really insidious with how people will get hooked on pain pills because it comes from a trusted source. Right. Usually a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we are completely at capacity at Narcon. That or, doesn't mean that if you need help, you can't call. That's true. They'll We're, figure out a space for you. In case have, you're listening and you think, oh, they're they're full. I can't go in there. You absolutely can. We always can. are adding beds. We actually are licensed for over 50 beds. There you go. Um, so we always can add beds right so anyone out there yeah don't think you can't call we can anyone out there needs help we can get you in immediately right um but it's kind of like a double-edged sword it's like that's great we're helping all these people but it's just like oh my god more and more people more and more people are on drugs these days exactly and so or do they come in on synthetics do you get guys who come in addicted to synthetics yes absolutely okay we get people on we get people on spice bath salts and there's other stuff like t- there's drugs called 2CI, 2CB, 2C3187, you know, whatever. And these are like really scary drugs because we don't know how these people are going to react. Like if you know a person's taking heroin, you know what that withdrawal is going to look like. You know right. they're going to get sick. They're going to have diarrhea. They're going to vomit. They're not going to be able to eat. They're not going to be able to sleep. They're going to have anxiety, whatever. Right. We know what that looks like. Right. When you come in off like the latest and greatest out of China's labs, we have no clue what that's going to look like. Most of the time, we take those people directly to a hospital. Really? Yep. And you, so you do like a medical supervised withdrawal? No, our withdrawal is medically supervised. Okay. So we have round the clock nursing. 
But how does that work if you have to take them to a hospital? Do they take them off there? A lot of they... times we'll take them there just to get checked out to make sure like they're going to be okay. Oh, if they, if things start, I see. Uh, sorry, I kind of misspoke. If things start to get kind of weird, we'll take them to a hospital and get them checked out. Okay, I got For like that. their safety, you know, make sure that they're not having like a, cr- a crazy reaction to it. Um, a lot of times we'll get them IV fluids. Okay. Um, they'll probably give them, you know, Ativan or something to calm them down. And we'll bring them back. Now, our our drug-free withdrawal is drug-free. Right. However, if a person needs, like, blood pressure medication for high blood pressure, of course, they can take that. A person is, like, a diabetic and needs insulin, of course, they can take that. Right. So, but when, when we mean drug-free withdrawal... You mean you're not substituting methadone for heroin. Right. Or suboxone for whatever. We're not going to put you on one drug to get you off another. We're exactly. going to get you through the withdrawals. Um, and our, our detox is medically supervised. Right. We have around-the-clock nursing. The doctor's there almost every day. Um, people get full blood workups. We actually will bring people for um, IV nutrient drips. Okay. Called, you're, you're going to get a banana bag? No, but I used to have something called a Myers cocktail. Yes, it's, which like is it's a very similar. Myers cocktail in the vein. Vitamins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's IV nutrients. If a person's not able to keep food down and they're like vomiting, they're having diarrhea, and they're just like losing all their body's nutrients, we'll get them nutrient drips. Okay. Um, if the situation calls for it, and right. so um, a lot of times with these synthetics, yeah, we don't know what these people are gonna de- what the detox is gonna look like. So it makes our job a little harder, right? Because of all the synthetic drugs that are being created, but most people, I'd say 95% of the people in the center are there for opiates. Okay. Like in general. <clears throat> Interesting. So it's a, it's a scary thing. You know, we live in a scary time, Johnny. Yep. Things are, I hope that we can eventually nip this thing in the bud. Yep. The unfortunate thing is it's getting worse. Um, and more, more people are using drugs. Yeah, but on the one side, I think the more we have drugs like Grey Death, um, there will be more and more action taken. Right. You know, on the part of the government and on the part of the law enforcement to avoid such things. And, you know, I don't I don't think that's the ultimate end all. I think the education is huge right. in terms of how we educate people, which was kind of where we sort of started a little bit. But, yeah. you know, it, we just have to keep we have to keep educating and we have to and educating, not just educating kids on why to say no and why not to do it, but educating everybody that's listening to what's out there, what's available and how to watch out for it. And we'll keep talking about it. Yeah, we're going to keep talking about it. We're not going away. Jason and I are going to be here every week talking to you. We're going to have other people on sometimes, too. But we got to get this message across because there's way too many people out there that don't know what to do and don't know where to find help. And we got it. We do. Cool. All right, Johnny. See you next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 